Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Um, thanks to everybody who listened to the last episode on Agre- on Agresco. I had a lot of fun watching that show. More fun than I thought I would, considering the art style and the production house, which was Sanrio. Um, but it was it was really interesting. And if you have any even like a passing interest in what it seems like it is, definitely go watch it. You'll be surprised. I talked about it in my previous episode, which you can find on this podcast feed. Now, normally I would rant for longer, but I'm actually really excited about talking about what, I wa- what I'm going to talk about on today's episode. And that's a weird little show that, that is... Also, weirdly, not that little, it turns out. And that show is Eureka 7, Plasma Planets. I'm 
Now, for some people who might not have heard of Elreka 7, it is a giant robot show forged out of the two things giant robot shows are forged out of after Gundam and Evangelion have kind of rocked the world for years, and that is the just enough like Ava for people to notice you, but just commercial enough where you definitely plan on selling a robot to a kid or a collector at some point. And most of these shows, most giant robot shows, that's really that's really what the mindset is rooted in. When you see, like... Robots change a bunch of times. Um, Gundam is kind of the original <laughs> version of this. Every every time a Gundam changes form, that's a new model kit for them to sell. So things like double o, like Gundam Double O, when a there are first at least five to six model kits they can sell for that show. And then as it goes down the road, you get more and more, and that's how companies like Bandai print money. But Bandai also produced this show. And it's very clear when you watch the first episode of Elreka, they want of Elreka 7, they wanted this thing to be big. They wanted it to be really big. And they put like, money and stock behind it in a way that they were planning on this thing being a, like, a, another arm of fran- of a franchise that they could bank on for years, and they have tried to bank on it for years. But it just wasn't in the cards for the show. Which is a real shame. It's a really big shame. I, I think. I mean, I can, but I can also see somebody watching this show and being like, 
what the fuck is this thing? It's really weird. It's, re it's like, it's like weird Buddhist sky surfing with techno music. I don't get what, I don't get it. Um, and the, the, the thing that describes the reason why I love the show so much is the, it actually comes up real, turns out, really late in the show's run, episode 33, um, the episode's name is, um, Pacific State. And up until now, the show has always opened with the traditional anime opening, the best of which is probably by far Shonen Heart, which is the third opening um, that I will have put in the beginning of this podcast episode. Um, and if that, if that music doesn't make you go, like, just want to have a cool, fun time, and I don't know what to tell you. But the episode, the beginning of Pacific State starts differently, and what's interesting is it doesn't, from what I remember, it doesn't start differently necessary with any purpose in mind, but it starts differently because it wants to give the viewer a history lesson, basically. And with good reason. This... This show pulls from things that I that I at the time had been involved with and had and had a lot of understanding about, but not necessarily every anime fan would have. It it's pulling from very different, very active things, um, like it's pulling from like nineteen seventies fashion, 19, and, like, surf culture, and, like, it's got this, it's got the distinct, the, the whole show has this kind of quietly distinct 1970s California surf culture vibe to it. But then it, like, adds another layer of its style, of style onto that by very heavily featuring, like, 1990s to early 2000s techno house music clubbing vibes to it. Um, now I'm, I'm not going to go through the whole story for this show because it's very long and involved and fucking complicated and probably more complicated than it needed to be. But it it has a definite story, and it has a definite story arc. But there's a point in the story where the main character runs away from the rest of the cast. He just freaks out, jumps off the ship, and runs away. Um, and he encounters this character who ultimately is a bad guy a guy named Charles Beans, and he ends up staying for, I think, like, four days with Charles Beans and his wife, Ray. And they... There's this kind of... Up until then, you get, like... 
it's, it's a very just very traditional feeling character design. And it's like the the show I should say looks spectacular and sounds even better. I mean there's the uh, um there's the open there's the opening days from the first season that's like from the first the first opening is spectacular. It like gets you revved up. Uh, this, um, the opening shown in heart, which once again, one I chose for the for the opening of this show. This the end. This, the first end scene, fly away, which is fantastic. Um, there's I forget what the um interstitial song they play when he's falling off the cliff with his like with his ref board, with his, like, sky surfboard for the first time. That's really spectacular. Um, but the whole thing has really... The whole show has a really musical mind to it in a really unique way, even for anime, um... Even for robot shows, because there have been a couple robot shows like Rathafon, and I'm pretty sure a Another one. They've had really incredible, like, musicality to them. Um, the uh, Shonen Heart isn't as good as Cruel Angel Thesis because Cruel Angel Thesis is kind of the be- one of the best anime openings of all time, but Shonen Heart is damn fucking good. <laughs> um, but so. When he encountered Charles, he's listen- He's like dancing. Him and Ray are dancing in front of two speakers at this like house rave that he, it pops up in a park after he falls asleep and has all of his crap jacked from him by a homeless dude. And they're presented as these like very warm and loving and like devoted people, and they, you, you find out because of story beats that they can't have kids, but they've always, but they've been happily married for, like, years and years and years, and have always wanted kids, so they treat Renjin like he's their kid, and they don't really know where he came from. At least, uh, it's suggested that they don't know where he came from, but they treat him like one of their, like, a part of the family, and, you know, they ask him to call them, him Papa and Mama, and it's a, it's a big, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal to that character, because that character has, up till that point, never had a father figure, and has barely had a mother figure. Um, but in in the in the and in the course of the story the kind of parent figures his grandpa and Matt Holland and the people and the members of the um what's it called and the members of the uh of the gecko which is the ship that he that they that is kind of the travel that they travel on um 
have never really treated him like much of anything but a nuisance. Even though, like, you know, Matt, Matt or Holland, as they always call him, Holland, always, like, said, you know, like, come with us, like, be one of us, be, be like, this, like, weird, traveling-the-globe, ref-boarding, surfing, like, reporting weird lifestyle they've built up for themselves. And once again, if you've ever followed surf culture, that's very familiar. Surfers, not so much skateboarders, because skate, because, okay, this is how weirdly into surfing I have gotten. Um, because once upon a time, I used to windsurf a lot. And pretty well. But... Surf... But... Skateboarding came about so surfers could have something to do in the winter when it was cold. Um, Snowboarding came about so both of those types of people could have something to do on snow that was similar to surfing and skateboarding. Uh, But the thing about surfing and snowboarding that doesn't exist for skateboarding is that there is such a thing called wave chasers. Wave chasers travel around the world going to surf the best waves. I think the um, snowboarding equivalent is called powder chasing, but um, the idea is that you go to where, like, the best slopes are at any given time of the season, so, like, one time, so, like, and Sean White's talked about this. Sean White's the, like, Olympic gold-winning amazing snowboarder. He goes to, like, Tokyo one minute, and then he'll go to Nebraska the next, and then he'll go somewhere else then, and then he'll go, like, the Alps or wherever, kind of going to the best places for the best season, where he can, like, do the best snowboarding he can do, and that's a huge part of his life. And I'm not entirely sure how many wave chasers there are anymore, but I know that that, you, that that is a big thing in surfing. It's like, you know, like, oh man, the, the waves are really sick this time of year in Hawaii. I'm gonna head down there and just, like, get thrashed. Um, but, so that's, that's a really core idea to, like, the surf culture they build up around ref boarding, because and the way they, the way they depict um, trap bar, trap our waves, another reference to surfing, and and ref boarding and lifting, it's it is surfing. It's just surfing in the sky, and they have like people show up the way you people show up to watch surf competitions, to watch ref borders, and, like, people do certain... Tr- but the difference between surfing and ref boarding is ref boarding borrows a little bit of its style from skateboarding as well. So, in surfing, the idea is not necessarily to, ne- to do tricks so much as it is to, like, surf a perfect pipe. But in ref boarding, they have, like, trips, like, um, the, they have tricks, rather, the 
most famous with is the full speed cut back drop turn, um, which I'm still amazed that that trick name sticks in my head. Um, but the idea is that you're like doing these amazing tricks on your on your lift board, and the other thing they borrow from skateboarding is a the board types. They have all kinds of like when when one of the things that you see in um, Charles and Ray's like ship. I forget what their ship's named, but it it, lo- it basically looks like the gecko, and there's a story reason for that, but it's blue instead of green. Um, but you see all these different, like, different styles of ref boards all over the, um, all over the walls, and it's just like, and Wrenchin, Wrenchin, the main character, is looking at them, and he's just amazed. He's just like, uh, my little board is nothing. I've never seen anything like these except for in copies of Rayout. And he had a conversation with uh, Charles about the wheels on one of the ref boards because one of the ref boards has this like wheel that's the size of his head. And the the idea behind the ref boards is basically. You have, like, a bodyboard, like, not quite a surfboard, but, like, a boogie board, almost, with, like, a bump out, and then there's a wheel, like, like a skateboard wheel that's supposed to catch the trap bar waves so you can ride them. But he looks, he looks, and it's, like, the, the, like, circumference of the wheel is supposed to determine, I think, maneuverability and speed, and so, like, a big a big wheel on your ref board slows you down, supposedly. And Charles just says, like, this is, this is, I like this board because I like the way it rides, and that's what's important to me. And that's also a really big thing in surfing, is in surfing and skateboarding. It's like, people ride all different kinds of boards. You have, like, the little, you have, like, the little skateboards that I see all over my my neighborhood that just people just like I mostly see girls riding them. <laughs> Actually, come to think of it, the only skateboarders I've seen at all lately are girls, which I find really interesting. But the I basically the idea is that it's like it's this surf culture thing that this this show is built around surfing and surf culture and also but also skateboard culture. And a big part of that in the show is this magazine that they run called Rayout. And by introducing this, like, punk zine that they put out that's immensely popular with, like, teens and preteen kids, they give the show this kind of punk edge that it needs to really help it over the hump in that, like, surf culture, skateboard culture, techno music, house music, rave culture world it built for builds for itself. And the other show the other thing this show does really, really well is it gives you an idea that like yes, this is these people's world, but it's not everybody's world. They, um later 
on in the show, actually pretty early on in the show, you're introduced to, um, I think it, I forget the name of the religious sect, but basically you, uh, like, radical, a radicalistic kind of hyper form of Buddhism. And uh, this ties into the story in, like, some seriously major ways, but it, it, uh, it, so, now I want to take you to pause for a moment so you can understand the kind of multiple universes this show phases through. Uh, when you're introduced to Renshin in the first episode, he's this kind of, like, he's this kid obsessed with ref boarding, and he's obsessed with, um, with the gek with the gecko and his magazine Ray Out. Um, and then eventually he joins the the crew of the of the Gecko State. He actually ends up on the cover of Ray Out because of story reasons, and then, uh, but he also at the same time falls for this girl. And here's where this show probably lost Mecha fans in a big way, is that the main drive of the story is not to, is not to ultimately battle a all-encompassing, world-ending evil to save the world. We're not talking charged counterattack kind of plot here. We're talking about, like, ultimately he just wants to save the girl he loves, and he wants to be with the girl he loves at the end of this show, and she wants to be with him, but plot reasons prevent it. And, but them being together will save the world eventually. So everyone around them... Not only for that reason, but that reason helps. Says, okay, go get her. And they, like, help him get her eventually. They help him get her back eventually. And they help the two of them be together. And it, the whole conceit of the plot is this love story between Renshin and Eureka. And the trials and tribulations, and the kind of forming of a non-traditional family that they have, and all those, like, nine gazillion things. But, that doesn't really sell toys. And that do and, like, the, the Nirvash, and the LFOs, and all the other, um, robots in that show aren't are, yes, I mean, they have a toy LFO in the first episode that gets broken. But they don't... They don't have any... Uh, so it's it's clear that they want to sell toys of robots from this show. And, they, and like I said earlier, they want to make it into a into another arm of, like, a 
franchise of like the franchises that they control. But because of the nature of the love story and because of the uniqueness of the love story to that to this particular series, that doesn't really work out. If you look at um the one of the best named anime movies I've ever heard of, um Sleep Tight Young Lovers, which I think is also called Pocket Full of Rainbows. Uh, that's that movie's simply a retelling of it's simply an alternate retelling of out of the show. Um the whole show regardless of its ups and downs and Elreka Seven does have some downs, um is focused on a love story. And that come that starts to be a problem when you run into its sequel, Eureka Seven AO, which at some point I'm sure I'll talk about. But that's a whole separate weird thing. But um, I nonetheless I have a feeling that people responded better to Eureka Seven AO because even though it is not necessarily a great show. It is in many ways a more traditional robot show with much more traditional trappings of a robot show, like get in the robot, save the world, that kind of thing. This this show is very much all about you're not necessarily in the robot to save the world, and if that's your only motive, the robot's not going to move for you, bro. Um, and this show, it does something really interesting with relationships. It shows you very clearly different, different examples of how relationships are. It shows you Renshin and Eureka who are kind of in the beginning of a relationship. And then it shows you... Um, Matt and Hilda, who are married, and they are very... Con- they are very consciously married, and they've been married for a long time, and long enough to not give a shit about bullshit. Like, they, they just, like... They're in love... But they're not. They're, it's not young love. It's the kind of old, familiar, happy but never frantic kind of love. So you have the like young and restless love, and then you have the old and familiar love, and then, and this is really interesting because. He's pitched as a good guy, basically. Not basically, he is pitched as a good guy. You have Holland and Tahoe. And Tahoe is this very strong-willed, very determined woman who is deeply, deeply, deeply in love with a total asshole. And I'm I'm not kidding. Ho- Holland is a total 
like unrelenting jerk. I, but I forget what episode it is where he gets her the ring and it's crushed. You realize that he he does his part too. He he does his part to keep up the relationship. He may be a total jerk, but he realizes when like the person he loves asks for something specifically. He is the kind of guy who will go kind of silently out into the world to make it happen for her. Um, but... The, and the la- the, not the last one, but um, the first... The, the first example of a relationship that seems loving in like a really truly warm way that doesn't that isn't also followed by volatility is Charles and Ray and I keep coming back to them because it's a really interest a it's a really interesting story trap Charles and Ray are really interesting story trapping but b and b, and b they are like very Osamu Tezuka-esque character designs I, yeah if you stop and you look at this show, they don't look out of place in this show, but if you stop and you really pay attention to, like, Ray's proportions and Ray's expressions, um, Charles' proportions and Charles' expressions, they're, like, weird, they're, like, a, their character designs are weird homages to Osama, T- to Osama Tezuka work, which I find really interesting. Um, but they are warm loving, truly devoted to each other. Um, they are not... They, they are devoted in a way that is not... That they that they accept... That instead of dismissing each other's quirks and weirdnesses and misunderstand and, like, all the, like, crap and baggage they have, they accept that baggage, like, Charles, it's very clear that Charles has always wanted children of his own, but instead of, like, leaving the woman that he loves and finding someone who can give him children, he stays with the woman he loves, regardless of whether or not they can have children, and they make a life for themselves regardless. And whereas every other relationship you've seen in this show is presented as yes in love but they're not living like a lovey dovey life that this show makes an effort to show you like no this is what it looks like when you're in love and you truly deeply care about each other and you know like you have you have dinner together every night and you you know you hang out and you watch movies and you know you go you go surfing together you do they Charles and Ray are the example of characters who show who in the show who do everything together and who are like together literally until death till death do they part basically um but it so this show, this this giant robot show about giant robots 
fighting space fish, basically. It, it, it keeps presenting the importance of love and relationships and of making your own family and of how important people's past relationships are to the people who have yet to come and all of these really weird and interesting emotional beats. Which, unfortunately, is probably why it didn't... A, it didn't land the way I, you can tell they wanted it to land, and B, why when you get thing, remakes like El Recas at like high, like high Evolution, if it doesn't focus on that, it feels like it's lost a lot of heart. And the thing that inspired me to do this episode was a review that I saw on uh, in the Otaku USA um, newsletter on that was about a record seven high evolution, which is the new movie, which, in my opinion, had one of the greater ad campaigns I've seen for any film ever. In that, it said, "Hey, screw our commercial." If you liked it, fine. If you didn't, go to this website and take these clips and make your own freaking trailer. Just go for it. We got these clips, we got this music, make it happen. And you could totally go to that website and, like, play video editor for, like, ten minutes to half an hour like I did and make your own badass trailer with cool music and, like, jump cuts and shit. It was really... It was a really phenomenal piece of just like, wow, you got me to play with like clips of your movie as a promotional thing for 20 minutes. You, you Instead of being like, we're activating potential viewers, you actually like gave me a way to engage with this property in a way that I never imagined, and which is very ballsy, because I think you could download those trailers, if you could just download those things, and you're just giving people, like, a way to generate their own content with with your, with pieces of your content, man, that's a ballsy thing to do on the internet. <laughs> but, the thing that the reviewer said is that Eureka 7 um, high evolution was missing was missing the parts of the original that made it kind of shine the brightest. And I've seen the trailers, and from what I've seen in the trailers, there's very little focus on Wrenchin and Eureka's relationship, which ultimately was the thing that always drove the plot in the original show. And not that every show has to have a romantic angle, but in Eureka 7 AO, which I don't know how it got to be so kind of infamous, or at least well-liked, but that show is, like, all up in the YouTubes in a way that I'm pretty surprised about. But the thing that it started to do that it never truly followed up on 
and that it, like, lost in its, like, weird confusion of the rest of the show, it, it, it establishes this relationship between these two characters. I think it was, like, it was, it, between Al, between Al and the blonde girl, and at the end, they make it seem like he's going home to her, but you're not given any reason why you should care. At which, which is odd, because the whole show, the whole show is kind of this sprang out of the fact that Al is Elreka and Renchen's kid. <laughs> he is the most mixed race of mixed racial kids in anime. Oh my god, it's amazing. <laughs> Which, as a mixed race person, like, coming to that conclusion when I did was like, oh shit, he's, he's definitely a mixed race child. He is Corallian inhuman. That's pretty okay. But, um, it's just, that, if Eureka 7 was the thing that was about love winning the day and love, say, and, oh, if Eureka 7 ceases with only love can stop the killing, Eureka 7 AO, or Astral Ocean, quote-unquote, ceases is, okay, I have to stop the killing before I can go be with my lady. But also, do I really care about that girl? <laughs> and for all of the, like, melodrama of Elraka 7, and it, like I said, it does have some downs, and it does have melodrama, it does have, like, it has an episode where they literally spend, like, a week in a goddamn cave. A week in a cave. There's a couple episodes where they spend a lot of time in a cave. Like, there's one where they spend a week in a cave, there's another one where I think they spend three days in a cave, and, like, Renton and Oreca go, go hang out in a flower that I'm sure for a metaphor for weird love, I don't know. Um, but, um, it had heart. And the big problem with shows like AO, and even shows like a show coming out right now that I'm told took a really hard turn into, like, conservative-leaning crazy town, um... Uh, what's it called? Damn it. The one with the butt piloting. Um. Ah. Uh, uh, the one, the one with the butt handles. Help me out here. The one with the butt handles. Um, I'm sure I'll remember at some point. But, um, even that show had this hollow feeling to, like, the ideas about love that they possess. I mean, um, the butt handle show. Oh, crap. Oh, Darling in the Franks. Darling in the Franks. Even Darling in the Franks has, 
even though it is it is supposed to be all about love and relationship and those kids' relationships to each other and them discovering like quote unquote all the feels they have for each other. It's it feels hollow because they they have a tendency to just not follow up on shit. Just not. Or when they do, do it in a way that feels like they're trying to honestly manipulate you. And not like the show is manipulating you into feeling what the characters are feeling, but the show is manipulating you into feeling what the show wants you to feel. So, to give a perfect example of this, um, in Eureka 7, there's a scene when, um, Renjin is kind of constantly up until a point rejected by Eureka. When, when it's truly important, he's not the person she turns to. But eventually he's, like, they fall in love with each other. They they basically do a, like, end They chase each other around for a while, and they find each other, and they fall in love, and they, like, be, they go further together than they could have apart. Blah, 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 blah. Lo- Only love can stop the killing, like I said. But, um, in Darling and the Franks, they have a scene with the character who's overweight and his, like, co-pilot, and, like, his, like, companion pilot, um, the blonde girl, where, and, and, and it's, it's alluded to that it's because of, his, that it's really because of his weight, and three, and his weight is the issue there where he kind of forces himself on her as with a marriage proposal. She then turns around and says, no, I kind of want to, like, not do that and pilot with this dude over here. And he's like, oh, fine. And he gets all the press. And then, and they, they make a real point of saying, like, you know, you kind of backed her into, you backed this girl into a corner, and you said... Like, oh, marry me, and she said, okay, not as, like, a, okay, let's get married, more as an, okay, let's be, okay, so I can get past this, and we can deal with what we need to deal with, because this is technically my job, yo. Um, but it's... A, moving past the fact that, like, presenting that kind of forcing somebody in, that kind of allowing yourself to be forced into that situation and not answer, and not answering, not taking a second and answering honestly is like a thing you can do, which is a thing lots of people do, which is a thing I've done, I'm sure it's a thing like many women have done, blah, 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 blah. But, um, like that is a very that is a very human thing, and then to say, "No, I don't want to be with you 
if not only not only because of your weight, but it's seemingly a big part of it because of your weight. And then just, like, let that hang there for episode after episode after episode after episode. It's a big goddamn deal. They just, like, let that thing hang there like a dead fart. I'm told that they follow up on it later, but I haven't watched, because once again, that show went into a weird conservative territory that makes me feel uncomfortable, um, for a myriad of reasons. Um, but... It... It feels like it's set... It, Darling in the Franks and Eureka 7 AO feel like this setting up an emotional point that they're trying to make. In Darling in the Franks, it's all about like those characters and their interpersonal relationships and their feelings for each other and their romantic feelings for each other. In Eureka 7 AO, Al is trying to find a place to belong and he's trying to like, find someone to belong with, and I'm sure everybody can relate to that. But what they end up doing in both of those shows, obfuscating it to make some grander point that depends on fleshing that concept out. So, in uh, in Darling in the Franks, apparently, the, like, big secret is Men, men and women can ha- can are only fulfilled when you know they can have a baby together, which you know whatever. But then why wouldn't you pause and say yeah? But the initial like the initial character who you made kind of weirdly baby crazy just outright rejects a guy. And you're not even going to spend time on that. You're just going to, like, pass that whole thing on without being like, Hey, what if you two were... Had, had like, issues to work out? And what if, like, we, we took you and said... And if the show took that overweight character and said, No, he has redeeming values. He's not just a pushover. Because in the show, in the show, for the entire show, they make him pretty much of this like huge, big, fluffy pushover, and like it's 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 really shitty to then turn around and say like the point of this is to ha- the point of this is to have children and be a and be a happy family in a, like a we're a happy family Ramones kind of situation, but we're not going to discuss what happens when nobody wants to be a happy family with somebody? We're just gonna, like, plot, like, plot armor it, so he gets a partner no matter what, and we're just gonna ignore the fact where nobody wanted to be with him? Huh? What? And then in... Eureka 7 AO, him wanting to be with people, be with somebody, is then, like, it makes no, it makes no sense, because 
He by the end of Eureka Seven AO, Al, the main character, is basically warping time space and changing reality constantly until he gets to one where like he can stop. And then he just goes home. And he's like, I hope she remembers me. And all I can think is, damn dude, I hope so too. Because it seems like you fucking forgot about her for a solid 20 episodes of this damn show. And it's like, you know, if if you're gonna have romantic relationships, pay attention to them. Because it, I, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to go full Nana or like shojo or like write a shojo beat comic. But there are there's value in that stuff, especially when it's something you're building your story around. And Eureka Seven is a great example of how to build a story around, at least in my opinion, a romant, a like a romance story that has like these grand consequences and it's, and it, it's romance story is one about like accepting your feelings accepting like accepting another person's feelings good or bad accepting like what another person is in reality not what you want them to be not what you want yourself to be but what you actually are and presenting yourself to another person at, is essentially saying, here I am in all my flaws, please accept me. And you hope the other person turns around and says, here I am in all my flaws, I accept you, please accept me. And it, it's, I, it's not rare that love stories tell that kind of story anymore, even in anime. I mean, there are plenty of anime where it's a anime is all about, like, hey, we're two fuck-ups, but we like each other, so cool. I mean, to name a couple off the top of my head, Love Hina, Lovely Complex, Lovely Complex, um, both Ken Akamasu sings, Ranma, um, lots of them. Lots of them are like that. But, um, it's just, it's fascinating that the show, the farther that show gets from its, like, roots and the way it told its story originally, the less appealing it seems to be to people. Because that seems to suggest that, like, all the melodrama and all the, like, only love can stop the killingness of that show seemed to be really important for the success of that show and part of how that show's formula works on a like a really fundamental level but obviously I if I hadn't said this by now this is one of my favorite shows of all times I started watching it late in high school. I marathoned it in college at least once. Um, it, it is a show that deeply affects me because of 
the way relationships in the past have gone for me. I have fallen in love with more than a couple girls who have just kind of vanished or just kind of disappeared or we've grown apart in a way that wasn't our choice. But it's... So it, it, it holds a special place for me. In kind of the in kind of stark contrast to something like FLCL, which is a very which for me is a very communal anime and is very it's linked to the kind of social world that I developed lo- from loving anime, which by the way I think it's all I think FLCL it's alternative the FLCL alternative premieres on the second of June at midnight, so go watch that, because you goddamn bet your ass I will. Um, but, it, it's just a, it holds a special place for me for very personal reasons, and it is one of the few anime that, like, I, I, I contemplated, like, do I want to watch all of Eureka 7 to get ready for this podcast? No. I don't want to be sad for, like, 13 straight days while I watch the middle of that fucking show. <laughs> because it is a show that has really profound emotional impact on me because of how personally I identify with the way, with the twists and turns of the way they deal with the relation, the primary relationships in that show. I mean, they have, uh, Holland, at some point, gets addicted to drugs for plot reasons in that show. Um, Elreka and Renshin spend probably what's, like, amounts to seven, to, like, maybe three, four episodes in the, in the show, like, chasing after each other, but they spend, but it feels like they spend, like, three freaking months away from each other and, like, in, like, weird, lovesick pain for each other. And just... On some level, I'm a big old softie and it takes a real toll on me to watch those shows and I get really ultra-depressed. I'm like, man, everything sucks. And it just that... And that show does a great job of, like, taking you to, like, the high highs of, of, like, relationship and uh, the, like, really deep low lows of a relationship and showing you what that does to people, along with, you know, weird robot fights where robots turn into piles of salt. Um, but, I mean, it, like I said before, it's one of my favorite shows. It's way up way up there in the list probably one of my top 10 shows um but i also understand how people are just like what the fuck is this thing and i think a lot of the what the fuck is this thing comes with the show being reinterpreted constantly each time with less and less of the heart and soul of the original 
And man, that show for that whole thing to work, it's gotta have its heart and soul in it. And if it doesn't, it's just it's just not there anymore. So, um, that, on that note, I've been rambling about this for damn near an hour now. So, um, I have been Alex, and you have been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And if you liked this episode, go check out the other episodes in the feed. I highly recommend you listen to the Shin Godzilla episode, um, because I had a lot of fun watching that movie. Uh, you can find it on Netflix to rent on Netflix, but uh, not on Netflix, on oh damn, I suck, on Amazon, but um, you can also listen to my super early episodes like my episode about Boruto, about Boruto or um, my episode about FLCL, considering that FLCL alternative I think it is, is premiering on June 2nd um, and that this is not, this is not, it's not like I'm about to say, and brought to you by FLC Alternative, and then play the trailer. Um, I just, I got a thing for FLCL. Lots of people have a thing for FLCL. It's kind of a cult classic situation. But I have always had a thing for FLCL. I, for, for weirdly a lot of the same reasons I have a thing for Eureka 7, which I imagine is probably super true of a lot of people. Um, but if, if you like this show, check out those, or share it with any of your friends, steal their phones, open up iTunes, subscribe them to my podcast, um, if you're listening to this, you know how to do that, um, or if you're listening to this and you really like this show, leave me a five-star rating on iTunes, that really helps the show, or Sean Paul, I, I don't know if I believe that, but eh. Maybe give it a shot. Maybe throw some five stars on there. See where it gets it. On that note, I'll talk to you next.